Hey there, I'm Jess Jordana, copywriter and brand messaging strategist for online business owners and your host of the Feel Wealthy Show, the podcast that has basically nothing to do with any of that, but also everything to do with it at the same time. See, all of us listening are pursuing some version of more. Maybe it's why you started your business, or maybe it's why you find yourself constantly dreaming, what if? But in this pursuit of more, I've found that we're absolutely starving for examples of those of us who are soaking in, celebrating, or even just noticing the more that we hold right now. I believe you can have it all, and I believe I can too, but real talk, It rarely comes all at once, and quite frankly, magic is easy to miss in the making of it. So on the Feel Wealthy Show, I'm bringing you alongside myself and other successful people as we explore a tangible, concrete meaning of wealth that not only changes our lives, but also changes our days as we practice feeling it now instead of holding out hope for later. Karen, I am so excited to chat with you today. Thanks for joining me on the Feel Wealthy Show. Thank you for having me. I'm really, really excited to chat. Yes, we are finally taking the friendship out of the DMs, which I'm excited about. But I feel like we have so many things that we align on and we just kind of talk about them in different ways. And so that's why I'm really excited to kind of dig into that. But for those that are listening who don't know you yet, can you give us the like, who are you? How did you get here in a nutshell kind of thing? Yes. So my name is Karin, technically Dr. Karin Nordine. Um, I have a PhD specializing in behavior change and growth mindset. So I was a person I always like to say who was like the captain of the self-help struggle bus growing up. Like I always thought, I needed to be more organized and more put together and more healthy and more active and more this and more that. And through like a weird series of circumstances, stumbled into a behavior change PhD. I was actually going to study behavior change around like domestic violence bystanders. So totally different thing. Interesting. Um, But then I started to see how much of what I had read in self-help books was incorrect and didn't match the actual literature on behavior change. So I totally pivoted and really focused in on how can we cultivate the mindsets and behaviors that we want that actually make our life feel fulfilling, which is why when you launched the Feel Wealthy show, I was immediately like, oh, I have to listen to that because it's very, very, um, I think, connected to everything that we talk about in the world of behavior change. Yes, absolutely. And your tagline is, self-help without self-hate. And the moment I saw that, I was like, yes, like chills down my spine because how many of us, I mean, I know we have so many listeners that are business owners. We have some who are not, but we are all such high achievers and all of us try to like strong arm ourselves into betterness. And so I just identified with that so much. I'm curious if you can give us a little bit of the story that you tell about the girl with the purple pencil case or the purple folder or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I have this story I tell and it's like a vivid, it's like a core memory for me. Right. So I'm sitting in I think I'm in third grade. I'm sitting at my desk and the teacher's like, all right, everybody, like get out your reading assignment from yesterday. 
And I'm watching this girl named Valerie Carlson. And I always joke that someday Valerie Carlson is going to hear this and she's going to DM me and be like, I don't have my shit together, but it's cute that you think I did. But I look at Valerie Carlson and Valerie Carlson takes out this purple pencil case. And I vividly remember like watching her open it and there's multiple compartments, right? And all of her pencils are like in the right compartment. Her pens are in rainbow order. She pulls out her folder, her sparkly folder, and her homework's just like laying there. And I look in my backpack as a third grader and mm -hmm. I see pencil shavings and crumpled paper and like broken pens. And I take out all of that stuff and I put it on my desk and I like just viciously start organizing everything. And I promise myself in my head as a third grader, like I'm going to be more organized. I'm going to be like Valerie Carlson. Like I'm going to get my life together. I'm not going to be like this anymore. And that was kind of the attitude that I carried with me the vast majority of my life until I was in my master's degree and then PhD. And I was actually mentoring and coaching young undergrad students. And I started to kind of reinforce to them that like, you don't have to be different. And there's all of these unrealistic expectations and our cultural idea of the level of which everybody else is active and organized and put together and financially savvy. Like it's so inflated. We inflate our perceptions of other people. And so that has been my journey is to get people to realize that they both are enough, but also can change things about their life surely because it's fun and it's exciting to grow and change. Yeah. I want to talk about that like dichotomy because I have a daughter and I mean, everybody listening knows that my daughter's about two and a half. And I, when I hear stories like that, because I have core memories and I know how I felt at that age too. And just through like therapy, like the times that you go back to are like that age. Right. Mm -hmm. So how can, how do you think it's possible to instill in somebody that they can want those things. Like if you want the purple pencil case, that's fine, but that is not who you are. How, how do you kind of navigate that idea? Yeah. So it's, it's a little bit different with kids than it is adults. Right. So I'll kind of mm -hmm. like explain my perspective on both. And I'm not a child development expert by any means, but right, right. But the growth mindset literature kind of says, and you've probably heard this because it's getting more common in like parenting advice, is that we can praise and emphasize effort over success. Mm -hmm. So if your child comes home and they're like, mommy, mommy, I got an A on my math test, it's going to be better to say, wow, you studied really hard for that test than it is to be like, wow, you're so smart. I think a lot of us grew up in this culture where we were given characteristics, smart, mm. organized, strong, athletic, like whatever. And then we identify with those characteristics so strongly, but we also de-identify with certain characteristics. So mm -hmm. like a big one that I see is people don't identify as put together. They're like, I'm not a put together person. I can never be a put together person. I never was a put together person. And that is an, an example of a fixed mindset. Mm -hmm. For adults, I like to specify that 
I, I think about my 1.0 and my 2.0 self. So my 1.0 self is like where I am right now. My 2.0 self is is where I'm going. But one of the rules I have for myself is that 1.0 is not necessarily worse than 2.0. 2.0 is not necessarily better. That mm-hmm. number just signifies chronological order. Gotcha. So there are versions of myself in the past that I loved a certain thing about myself mm-hmm. at that time. And now I'm not emphasizing that certain thing anymore. Like I'm on car and 4.0, I joke now, but like yes. car 2.0 was a power lifter. Car 4.0 is not a power lifter right now. And I loved power lifter Karin. And so there are things that are going to change. And if we don't create a hierarchy of like this self has to be better than my previous self, it's just like, okay, what new identity am I going to try on? Um, mm-hmm. And I think if you focus on playing with it, exploration, rather than like getting it right, becoming the right version of you, that's where you move away from like the self-hate mindset. Yeah, I love that. And I think it also is like, I feel like the 1% better kind of advice is great. And I love that people are kind of moving more in that direction. But I think it's also a little bit flawed because if you talk about getting 1% better, it kind of feels like you can't ever go back down in that area. Um, And so it always has to be 1% better versus just choosing, like you said, to emphasize the things that are important to you in the moment. So I think that makes total sense. And I feel like when it comes to the whole feel wealthy concept, it's sort of the same thing. It's getting away from this idea of you are wealthy or you're not. Like that is such a flawed mindset because it's such a spectrum. And even if you are quote unquote, in terms of how society views wealth, who freaking cares if you don't feel wealthy, like it, that is not the point at all. So I think that's why we're all here (laughs) and we could go on and on about all of this, but I'm curious, when was the first time that it struck you that you were like, okay, I'm making money online? Oh, online. Okay. Yeah. Um, So let me think. I mean, I honestly think it probably happened the first time someone paid me for coaching. So Mm -hmm. I started out as a nutrition coach and I like told my friends on Facebook, I was like, hey, I'm doing six weeks of free coaching if anybody wants to talk to me about their nutrition Mm-hmm. And a couple people said yes. And then one person afterwards said, yeah, hey, like I would like to continue. And I remember just like sweating from my eyeballs and my earlobes <laughs> as I asked this <laughs> former student of mine to pay me $30 a month. Oh my God. $30 a month for weekly nutrition coaching. So I was wow. on the phone with this guy for 30 minutes every single week. I was looking at his food logs. I was helping him make different strategies and choices for his nutrition. But I remember that moment where he was like, yeah, I can do that. And I was like, whoa, like someone just, this is just money that I just mm-hmm. got from like a, it was just like totally totally mind-blowing to me yeah would pay me for that what is that like between six and seven dollars a week probably <laughs> yeah but 
point you're like, I am literally swindling him. What is happening? That is so funny. But it is like, you have to just like raise your thermostat continuously. Do you feel like there was another turning point where you started to like feel a little bit more comfortable with that? Yeah, I think it was around the same time that I started doing contract work with like curriculum design. So I was Mm -hmm. hired. Some of people in your audience might be familiar with PN. They sell nutrition coaching certifications. And I was hired for them to do curriculum design work and be a subject matter expert. And I remember my boss, when she was hiring me, asking me what my hourly rate was. And I asked my advisor, my PhD advisor, and she was like, well, start at $50 an hour. And so I started making $50 an hour when before that, for context, I was a full-time PhD student getting paid $19,000 a year living in Washington, D.C. So like that's <laughs> like PhD wages are cruel and unusual. Yes. Like it's yes. just not it's ridiculous. And so I think that was the – I was also working a lot of hours. And so all of a sudden I was having – all of this money came in and I was like, whoa, like I can actually afford my life. Like I'm not putting things on credit cards. Like this Mm -hmm. is, this is insane. Mm -hmm. Was that ever um, a, that meaning, let me go back and explain, was the idea of being like a lower earner because you're like an education person, was that ever like a badge of honor or where was your mindset on that? So I will, I have a really, I would say I've gotten through this now, but I had a really weird relationship to money for a while Mm. because I grew up in a fairly like wealthy neighborhood. My dad worked for like IBM for a while. Like we were well off. Right. Mm -hmm. And we lived on the border of like a neighborhood that was like lower middle class, like just there was a huge wealth gap and Mm -hmm. because of the way the neighborhoods were structured I was on a bus with all of the kids from the other neighborhood and so I became friends with all of the kids from that neighborhood so growing up with wealth is a huge privilege I totally acknowledge that but Mm -hmm. my perception as a teenager was all of my other friends are like have this thing in common where like their parents are buying similar brands they live in similar size houses and I was really embarrassed of like of the wealth we had like I almost felt guilty about it already like just as a teenager because it made me different from the people that were my peers Um, and so I think that kind of that and then growing up in education wanting to be in education where it's like you do this career because you love it like you don't do it because it's going to make you money I had for a long time, a really, really difficult time talking about money, coming to terms with the fact that I was making money. And when I did make money, I would dump it. Like I would like go on Amazon and buy things, or I would pay for expensive coaching, or I would do something to get rid of it so that my bank account was more at the level at that time that I was comfortable with. Because I I grew up in this good place, but long story short, like I was estranged from my parents for a while. And so then I was like on mm-hmm. PhD wages. So my financial status like changed very rapidly. And it was almost like I rejected any sense of like being comfortable because mm-hmm. of the money I was making. Mm-hmm. That is so interesting. I feel like there's a lot of layers there. 
<laughs> one, I think like usually we hear the opposite story, right? We hear of the like kid who grows up in a house with no money and they're embarrassed about the things that they can't buy or whatever. So I think it's so interesting to hear like the opposite, but I also feel from like a thermostat standpoint, the fact that like your brain was pointing you to like, this is the thing that's right. And then like your whole life just like shifted there. That's very interesting. I don't know what I want to say about it, but it is interesting. (laughs) Yeah, it was definitely like, when you hear the stories of people who have a rough experience with money or money mindset, it like, it does not often sound like my story. And I, as someone who like, I'm a person who's very aware of like privilege and wealth and those kind of things. And so for a while I was hesitant to even like share my perspective on my story because I was like, this Mm -hmm. is really messed up that I felt bad about being wealthy, (laughs) but that like, that's what teenager me felt. And so real. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. So that kind of like covered our typical third question, which is like, what mindset do you really struggle with? So I'm curious now in Karin 4.0, I guess we're in, um, what does abundance and wealth, all of that kind of stuff really mean to you? How do you define it? So when I was first starting my business, I worked with this amazing coach, Annie Miller. She's great, especially if you're in the fitness world. And one piece of her marketing was like, you want to be able to buy the good bacon. Mm. And that has stuck with me from the beginning. Like for me, when I go into the grocery store and I can buy black label thick cut bacon, even Mm -hmm. though it's like way, way more expensive than like your normal bacon, That to me, a hundred percent is like on my feel wealthy list. And then raspberries too. Cause when I was in grad school, when I was in my master's degree, I was actually living in Alabama and I was making $10,000 a year and trying to pay for an apartment. And so I didn't have the money to buy raspberries. I, so once a month I would get to go to target and I would buy raspberries once a month and I would eat them in the car. And it was like my so special thing that I got to do. And now I just am like, hauling raspberries into the cart and my partner's like why do you buy so many raspberries and I'm like because I can John because I can (laughs) because I can and it's fiber (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh I love that so much so like just having the option to be able to get the thing that doesn't make sense like Mm -hmm. budgetary sense or whatever I love that idea I also love that it's a perishable Like it's something that you don't keep forever because I feel like that's something that a lot of people struggle with when it comes to money. They're like, oh, we'll all spend on something that can become an heirloom or will serve me forever and ever, but I'm not going to buy the flowers every single week because they die kind of thing. And I think that that's like something that keeps us from those little joys sometimes. So Let's kind of roll into some other things that are on your feel wealthy list. Mm -hmm. So there's a couple other things. One one thing that's like really sticking out to me right now is that, so I am running a business. I have two people who are full-time on my team, Mm -hmm. like W2 full-time, 100%. And one of them is pregnant right now. And so she is getting her... 16 weeks of paid parental leave that we Oh my gosh, how cool. That's going to make me cry. Yeah. So that for me is like, 
every time I think about that, I'm like, okay, like this is why I'm in business. This is why I'm doing this thing. There was just like a huge scandal. I don't know about if you heard about it, but there was a scandal with a company called Kite Baby because they mm-hmm. they like do baby onesies and they had an employee who adopted a 22-week-old NICU baby and they like weren't going to give her any leave. Mm-hmm. And so our parental leave is parental leave. Like it sounds weird, but the way our policy is phrased is like, if you acquire a child <laughs> by any means, like you, you get leave. And so that for me, every time I think about it, I'm like, yep, that is how mm-hmm. I know we're making enough money at BBA is that we can just offer that to her. Yes. I want to dive into that a little bit more, but commenting on the kite baby thing, I was watching a lot of that unfold on TikTok and it was like a wreck. Like you can't look away kind of thing. And it was all happening live. And like, one of the things that my husband and I talked about is that's also what happens when you have a business that's built solely off of social media, off of influencers promoting you just as fast as it blows up, it can get taken away. And I think that that's so interesting. And she also like, so the CEO had an apology, but it was like a scripted apology. And she got like double, triple canceled for that. And then she came on and did another apology. But like you said, you have parental leave at the end of that, like authentic apology. She said, but the baby was adopted. (laughs) And it just like, took away the whole about she's like but I was justified because this wasn't her like biological baby or whatever which is ridiculous yeah yeah crazy yeah it's it's crazy to me and it's also like I think one of the interesting kind of like toxic parts of the like scale big industry is it's never like scale big but think about how to do it ethically like I, my rule for myself was that I'm not going to hire an employee until I can hire an employee who I can offer benefits Mm. and parental leave and like a decent salary. Like, yes, theoretically, could I have hired someone earlier at like half the salary we offer a hundred percent. But if you, so like, there's this thing in this small business world where it's like, oh, well, I'm a small business. Like I can't afford that. And it's like, well, then you like, if you can't afford to do it ethically, you can't afford to do it. Right. In my opinion. Right. There's just because hobbies. you quote unquote can, like just because it's possible doesn't mean you should kind of thing. I'm curious if you're willing to talk about your focus on profit kind of in yeah. relation to that. Okay. Totally. Yeah. Oh, I'm an yeah. open book. Yay. Good. <laughs> so last year we made $675,000 and we had 16% profit margins, mm-hmm. which is low. I did not like how low that was. How are you calculating that? So like, does profit margin include your salary or exclude your salary? Because I'm an S-Corp, my salary is included in the expenses. Okay, that's what I thought. So that's also one of the reasons that last year felt, last year our spending went beyond what my comfort level was. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. And I had to reach that comfort level in order to realize that I had gone past it. And for context, like I signed with a very expensive coach who was very worth it, but was a huge investment. Number two, we built a custom platform into our website. So I'm not using like Kajabi anymore. Like I have my own platform, which cost us 
quite honestly, like $60,000, but I'm never, mm -hmm. I'm not paying for any other platforms ever again. So we'll save $10,000 alone just on that decision this year. Right. Right. Um, right. Number three, last year was my first year as an S core. So my salary all of a sudden wasn't okay. in the profit half. It was in the revenue half. Yep. And so I was, I was like at a point where I was like, wow, we spent past my comfort zone. Mm -hmm. Um, I also think there's a lot of like yuck in the online business world about like, oh, if you're making money, but you're spending a bunch of it, then it's like, it doesn't count. And mm -hmm. like, if you don't have 60% profit margins, then your business is failing. And it's like, well, you have to connect that back to your values. So mm -hmm. I think about, I, I went into this year knowing two things that I was going to do differently with. Mm -hmm. Number one is I was going to hold a absolute minimum of 30% profit margins because I felt like I needed that purely for the business's stability. And number two, when I did spend, I was going to spend more on people. Mm -hmm. Because if like, I would rather have be able to give raises to our own team than invest in like Facebook ads right now. Mm -hmm. Like that to me is where my heart is and my values are. And so that's kind of the profit guideline is a check for me of like, I'm not just spending because of shiny object syndrome. I'm not just spending because I think it's going to come back. It's like, no, like this is our hard stability line. Mm -hmm. And then everything else beyond that is negotiable. Yeah, because I think especially as you're growing and scaling a business, there's probably always something else you could invest in that could absolutely return your investment. But it is a sometimes that itself becomes your crutch. And if that becomes your crutch or your only strategy or whatever, then you're not really tuning in to your people on the audience side. And so I think that like the people kind of feeds the people sort of thing. I thank you for sharing about that, by the way. I think it is not something that is talked about often unless somebody wants to like make a stand on like why the way somebody else is doing it is bad kind of thing. So there's sort of just this like throwing shade sort of situation instead of like talking about it in an empowered way, which I think is really important. Yeah. I think too, there's like... There's just not a lot of transparency around like, what people are spending money on and why people are spending. And so I love to be the person that's like, this is exactly how much money we made. And this is how much we made it. And this, this is where it went. Like, I'm an open book about all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to share specific number details just because I don't know them off the top of my head. But there have been years where because of my husband's and my real estate investments and things like that, where I strategically had no profit because we were trying to offset the profit that we had in other areas. So I think it really is just like based on your goals. And if you just take numbers at face value, it's definitely not the whole story. And so I think that transparency is super important. Yeah. Okay. What's next on your list? That was a good one. Okay. So that's on my list. Um, another thing that's on my feel wealthy list that I just started this past year, this is a pretty common one, but 
we have a amazing housekeeper who comes in mm-hmm. every mm-hmm. and cleans. And that for me is like every single time I emerge from the office with, cause I'm usually here when she's here. And so me and my dog just like lock ourselves in the back mm-hmm. room. Mm-hmm. And then at the end we like come out and the whole house is clean and it is just like, I, so one of the things that I talk about in the world of behavior change is that with any goal that you set, you have three resources that you can put towards that goal. You have time, energy, and money. And mm-hmm. if you don't have money, then you need to be able to spend time and energy on it. But if you don't want to spend time or energy on it, then like that may be something to outsource. And I really view looking at those three resources and my spending of those three resources as what makes me feel wealthy, but also what makes me feel fulfilled in other areas mm-hmm. of my life. Like it's not necessarily how much time I'm working, but what I'm spending that work time on. It's not necessarily like how much energy I'm putting into a specific goal, but is that put into the right areas? So I think about money, energy, and time in like a very similar way. Mm-hmm. That is a super helpful tip. I'm curious if you, I feel like the answer is yes, but I feel like your decision to have a housekeeper was not just like a flippant decision. It was like a, the next version of Karin is someone who has a housekeeper kind of thing. Can you kind of unpack that like identity piece of it? Yes. Okay. So I spent 2022, one of my goals in 2022 was to become tidy. That was Mm, my Interesting. Yep. And I, that's something that I always like have wanted to change about myself is that I tend to be on sort of the messier side of things. Mm -hmm. And I really like having a tidy environment. So I think there's a lot of like kind of glamorization of things being tired, you know, tidy and minimalist and all that. And I think people need to really figure out if you actually care or not. Mm -hmm. Turns out I actually do care. I actually (laughs) operate differently in a clean home than in a dirty home or in a messy home. And so I spent the whole year like working on it. And then when I went into 2023, I knew that I wanted some of that mental energy back and some of that time back in order to focus and put those resources to other goals. So it was Mm -hmm. like, okay, I'm at the point where I can financially outsource this and know that maybe I don't have to be as tidy and I can still have the outcome I want without having to spend so much effort changing myself, which I think is one of the things people get wrong about personal development. They they pick a goal or they have a result they want and they think that if they don't get there through hard work, it doesn't count. And it's like, Mm -hmm. I don't get to a clean house through hard work. I get to a clean house by holding up in the back room until the cleaners leave. But I still enjoy that result just as much. That is so fascinating. I feel like I have a similar story in terms of last year, the outcome that I wanted, I wrote down that I wanted to make an extra hundred K. I don't know where that number came from. Who knows? But it was something that I was very focused on. And that number actually did happen, but it did not happen through my business. Mm. And I made myself so wrong for that originally, because I'm like, it doesn't count like that. That doesn't count at all. And like, then my coach was like, hold on, like it totally counts. Let's like back up a little bit. So I feel like that's so interesting to like keep the outcome on the forefront, but it also is like, 
the outcome really matters. Like the outcome that you want matters, but a lot of times we focus too much on the outcome and don't kind of have any gratification along the process. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So one of my favorite questions to ask myself, and this I think like applies triple as much to business owners is Mm -hmm. what's the simplest way to get what I want? Mm -hmm. What's the easiest way to get what I want? And we're trained in society to think that easy means lazy. First Mm -hmm. of all, laziness does not exist. It's a cultural concept, not a psychological one. Um, If you look at the scientific literature, there's no such thing as laziness. It is just something that we, it's a word we use to judge other people in society. So you can stop Mm -hmm. using the word lazy, all of you who are listening. But when something is easy, when something comes easily to us, we kind of reject that or we don't Mm -hmm. consider that option or we think automatically that the hardest thing is the most worthy thing. And Mm -hmm. I think when we start to question that and we ask ourselves questions like, what's the easiest way to get what I want? What's the simplest way to get what I want? Those answers can sometimes be uncomfortable, but that is actually path to success or at least like fulfillment in a lot of cases. Mm -hmm. I love that. And it's so interesting that like you say, the path to fulfillment can be the easy way because I feel like so much of fulfillment culture is like, it's gotta be hard. Like it's gotta be like, you're gonna like burn to ashes and then rise like a Phoenix or whatever the analogy (laughs) is. And I'm like, what if it didn't have to be that way? And Yeah, that's just so interesting because I feel like so many of us who are in the personal development world are making things very hard for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And don't get me wrong, like there is absolutely something to like putting your nose down and working really hard. Like there, there is a sense of reward that comes from that specifically from the work, but you're still going to enjoy a result if you got there in a way Mm -hmm. that's easier than you think. Yeah. Or at least you can. (laughs) I don't know that everybody does, but that's a whole different problem. The problem is not that you got there the wrong way. The problem is that you haven't practiced enjoying it in the first place. Yeah. Okay. I would love for you to talk a little bit about the difference between a vision board and what you call a becoming board. You talked about this a little bit in your content before the new year. And I was like, oh my gosh, we have to talk about this on the podcast. By the way, your content regularly just like zaps me in my soul because there was one thing that you posted a while back and you were like going along with the tidy thing. I love watching like fridge restocks or like uh, end of the night shutdown routines or whatever. I do not do those, (laughs) but I definitely feel like I do them because I watch them. And one of the pieces of your content, you were like, your brain literally thinks you're doing that because you're watching it. Yeah. Anyway, that's a a whole nother story, but difference between becoming board and vision board. Okay. So it's actually very, those two things are connected together. So there was one time, this was a while ago. Can't remember what it was. Could have been two months, could have been three months ago. Could have been six months ago. Could have been two years ago. Mm-hmm. And I was laying in my bed and I was like scrolling on TikTok and I see this girl and she's like, put all her candles out. And she's like Sunday night self-care bath. This really gets me like reset for the week. And in my head, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm going <laughs> to take a Sunday night self-care bath. 
And then something just like stops me. Like I come to a screeching halt in my brain because it was Sunday night. Like it was Sunday night when I saw this and I'm laying in my bed and I had this thought and I was like, perhaps Karen, instead of watching (laughs) footage of other people's Sunday self-care baths, it would be more enjoyable for you to actually walk 10 feet into your bathroom and do that thing. Mm -hmm. And so I start, I started to realize like I I have this thing where I experience things in real life and then my behavior change brain is immediately, well, you know, this evidence says this, blah, 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 blah. So I'm able right. to connect my experiences with the science, which is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so immediately I was like, well, I'm getting all this gratification from watching people do things online, but I actually would get more gratification from doing it in my own life. And like how mm-hmm. much time am I wasting on like this sort of like grayscale version of the real thing? Mm -hmm. And so I walked into my bathroom and I took a self-care bath and I started to think about like, what are the moments that I actually want in my life on a day-to-day basis? And that's when I came up with the idea for a becoming board. So a vision board is usually like where you want to go. It is the end zone. It is like you throwing the money up in the air because you made a million dollars in your business, or it is you like crushing, you know, marathon half, half marathon finish line. Right. Mm -hmm. And I really wanted to shift my mindset and recognize the moments in my life where I was living the life that I wanted in pursuit of those things. And so I started, I created this board that was all like little moments that I could replicate. So I just pulled images from Pinterest And it was like simple stuff. It was like a shot of someone's feet that were wearing athletic, like athletic shoes and a water bottle was next to it. And I went to the gym the next day and I took a picture of my own feet with my water bottle next to it. And then I replaced it in the board. And so so gradually I started to like, I would have these images in my head of things that I wanted to create. And one of the things that we teach with our coaching clients is to cultivate tiny joy. Or like, if you want to be active, cultivate tiny activity. If you want to be tidy, cultivate tiny, tiny, tiny. That's a good one. Tiny, tiny. There we go. Um, And so a becoming board is basically a tool that helps you do that and helps you see how to love the process. Cause we're all told mm-hmm. you have to fall in love with the process that, so, you know, you know, you, I've even said, I say you spend 99% of your time pursuing goals and only 1% achieving them. You have to learn to love the 99%, mm-hmm. but that's how, that's how you love the 99%. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. So this is like a visual, I want to say it's a visual version of the feel wealthy list, but imagine this is like a foot. This is a podcast. I should not be doing this, but it's fine. (laughs) So imagine you're like, your foot is striking on the ground and like your heel goes first. That's the feel wealthy list. And then like your toes round out. That's almost the becoming board because it, the feel wealthy list is a list of things that you already have that make you feel elevated, but the becoming board is just like an inch further in terms of deciding things that are attainable tomorrow, attainable Mm -hmm. this week, and then putting that down once you do it. And I think that that is so, so powerful. And I 
am in the process of doing that. Actually, I kind of like made up my own thing because I didn't hear you fully talk about it, but I have like a monthly vision board monthly meaning for January because it's only January, but I have things on there that I want to kind of be able to recreate in my own pictures. And so I also heard from I believe it was Catherine Sankina, who's the manifestation babe. Do you know of her? Um, She was talking about how it's so much more powerful to create a vision board that is in the first person. So like, it's not like a full body shot of you doing something, but it's like your hand on a steering wheel of a car that you want or something like that, because then your brain is literally tricked into thinking that that is true. And so I think that's just exactly the same sensation in terms of just breaking it down into smaller goals and then being able to show yourself like this is true. And then you can start to like really get into the mindset that whatever you put down is going to come true. Yes. A hundred percent. And the, it's exactly that is reinforcement of like, I'm capable of making my dreams into reality on like a Mm -hmm. tiny minuscule layer. It's also a good exercise in follow through. A lot of people Mm. tell me that they have a really tough time with follow through. They don't feel like they follow through on their goals. They don't feel like they follow through on their habits. And the majority of that starts with an overcommitment problem. So if you start January and you put 60 recipes on your Pinterest board, like, babe, there's only 30 days in January. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. What are we doing? But one of the things that I will do is I will make a monthly becoming board and I will pin like one or two recipes and then I will actually commit to making those recipes. Mm-hmm. So that can establish this sort of loop I have with myself of like the intentions I set, I prioritize and follow. And I'm saying no to more upfront because I know that what I do say yes to is more sacred than it was before. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Everybody listening, you have to create a becoming board and tell us how it goes because it just is so much more tangible and I feel like powerful than the general vision boards that are typically out there. And I'm sure that you have already created for the year. So just take your big vision board and try to split that into tiny pieces of those things that you want to achieve and think about how it would actually look, how you could recreate the picture, all the things. And that's going to be so, so powerful. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Okay. One thing currently that is in your 4.0 vision, in your 2024 vision, I almost said 2023, that you're trying to focus on right now. Yeah. So this year is my year of less. Mm, ouch. And that's my word <laughs> for the year. And for me, that means coming to terms with, and this is something I think a lot of people need to learn, mm-hmm. is that less doesn't always mean better. Sometimes less is going to mean worse. Oh, that's painful. <laughs> and okay. we don't like that. We, we don't like that. So for example, one of the things that I am doing this quarter is I'm only posting on Instagram three times a week. And for some people, three times a week is like, oh my gosh, amazing. For me, I am a chronic daily poster. Like I've been daily posting on Instagram since basically October of 2020. And it is hard 
to break that. And so my brain wants to be like, well, it's going to be less, but better. It's going to be less, but like higher quality. It's going to be less, but I'm going to get more engagement. And it's like, maybe it will be worse though. Like maybe <laughs> I will grow less than I normally do. Maybe it will, we will not bring in as many leads. So that is really what I'm focused on this year is doing less and in some cases making it less but better but also allowing in some cases it to be less but worse and worse mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. how do you like allow that like in your nervous system in your body like all of that, like what does that process look like so I think it goes back to this idea of resources and value alignment like if I am allowing myself we call it um, in the coaching program we work with a lot of people on this and we call it strategic sucking like if you want to be excellent in some way, you probably need to strategically suck at something. Mm -hmm. So when I was studying for comprehensive exams as a PhD student, I texted all my friends and I was like, love you all. See you in three months. Like mm -hmm. I, I do not have the capacity to be a good friend. And I was a bad friend for three months and you know, mm -hmm. it was okay. And I tell people this with like, sometimes that means you're not going to be as attentive to email. Sometimes that means that your house is going to be messier. Sometimes that means that you're going to order more takeout instead of cooking meals. Like we have to allow ourselves to reduce the amount of resources that we're spending in certain areas if we want to increase them in other areas because time, money, and energy are finite. Like mm -hmm. they just are. We can't just do 1% more of everything every day. And one of the things we know psychologically is that when we are pursuing a goal, overwhelm is the result of too many demands and not enough support. So mm -hmm. a lot of us are constantly adding demands. I need to be better at this. I need to add 16 habits. I need to <laughs> make more money in my business. I need to like, we're just subconsciously adding demands to ourselves all the time. That's an exercise, by the way, write mm -hmm. down. Start with the words, I should be, and write down everything you think you should be doing. Oh, and why? Just, like, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> in the expectations that you're having of yourself for a yeah. hot second there. So we have these, this huge list of demands and we add more to it without ever adding support. And mm. then we blame ourselves for the goal gap, for not getting there, for not accomplishing the things. And it was like, well, it was an impossible ask. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think just knowing going from thinking always that you are missing the mark to starting to think at a base level, I'm asking too much of myself. Like mm -hmm. that's not swinging to toxic positivity. Like you talk about where you're like, I'm the most amazing ever. And I'm doing everything perfectly. It's in the middle. It's neutral of like, I'm simply asking too much of myself right now. And I need to take that down. I think is so important for business owners, for women, for moms, like really everybody who's listening besides my dad. So I think that is a really good exercise and add it to the list of everything you should do after this episode, because this is a good one. <laughs> The other thing I'll, I'll really quick mention related to that is like, you have to reset your expectations in every season. So mm -hmm. a lot of people think like, oh, if I establish the skill of like, let's say working out consistently, then it should get easier and easier and easier and easier over time in like this linear format. But mm -hmm. it's like behind the scenes, your life is fluctuating in difficulty. Mm -hmm. 
And so you wouldn't expect a third grader to do as well on a calculus test as a basic multiplication test. But that's mm -hmm. what you're doing when you expect yourself to excel in a difficult season of life the same way you were excelling in a season that didn't have those same obstacles. Mm -hmm. I thought of the same thing whenever you were talking about like your year of tidy, like logic, not logically, illogically, people think like, oh, if you had your year of tidy, then in 2023, it should just be so easy for you that it's like second nature kind of thing. And that is not the case. It's still work. It's still time. It, you just may know how to do it now, or you just may feel more confident in your ability to do it. So yeah, that's super helpful. Okay. Thank you so much for joining us today. I would love for you to share where people can find you three times a week, every day of the week, whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us all the things. Yes. So if you want to check out like anything that I've talked about related to my business, we're at bodybrainalliance.com. If you follow us at Body Brain Alliance, we have a future self map activity that's free that you can go through, which is curriculum on how to identify sort of like your value list that would pair really well with a feel wealthy list. Um, mm -hmm. It helps you identify your core four set of habits and values, which is really fun. Um, and then I'm personally at Karin Nordine PhD, which is now a little bit more of like a personal account and Body Brain Alliance has like the really hard hitting educational stuff. Mm -hmm. Love that. Perfect. Um, and I would bet that while you're doing the, was it future self map? Mm -hmm. If you're trying to figure out your values, you could probably look at your feel wealthy list because sometimes you're like, okay, what, what do I value? I have no idea. So that could be like a really tangible thing that you could go to or your calendar or whatever to kind of see what's important to you. So thank you so much. I am sure we will chat again on the podcast at some point, but I really appreciate your time. And I know everybody's going to love this episode. So thank you. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening in on this episode of the Feel Wealthy Show. If you love it here, then be sure to leave a five-star rating or review for the podcast. When you leave a five-star rating or review, you'll actually be entered to win the Feel Wealthy feature of the month. That's where I snail mail you something from my very own Feel Wealthy list as a thank you for supporting the podcast. I'm also a firm believer that the highest form of flattery is a recommendation, so I would be honored if you'd shout us out on Instagram. Be sure to tag me at Jess Jordana so I can gush in thanks in the DMs. It really means so much. We'll be back next week with another episode. Until then, I hope you remember that an absolutely essential part of creating real tangible wealth in your life is choosing to feel wealthy now instead of waiting for later. Talk to you soon.